Now, clashes between Israel's military and militant groups in Gaza, as happened again this week, can seem depressingly familiar. One side or the other triggers fighting in which the militants fire rockets, and Israel responds with airstrikes. Buildings are destroyed and people generally die. After a few days, a ceasefire is brokered. Israelis return to their relatively comfortable lives and Gazans return to their much more difficult daily existence. So what will it take to break that grim cycle and provide some genuine positive change for the people of Gaza living under Israeli blockade? Our Middle East correspondent Eric Torchek asks that very question. There are applications on smartphones to navigate your drive in an unfamiliar neighbourhood, to share photos, to find out what time your bus leaves. In Israel, there's an app that tells you when rockets have been launched and in which areas people need to take cover. I have this app on my phone, so I know when militant groups in Gaza, Lebanon or Syria are launching rockets into Israel. It makes an urgent dinging sound, like a sped-up school bell. Early on Tuesday morning, it began dinging continuously. The urgent bells kept chiming with each new launch. Music, my young son said, pointing at the phone but it wasn't something to be enjoyed. Each new alert meant a new batch of rockets fired towards a different part of Israel. There's a language to where the rockets are directed. If the alerts are for small communities on the Gaza border, there's no big news story. Militant factions often launch small rockets towards the sparsely populated border area, and they rarely kill anybody. But on Tuesday, these alerts were for cities in central Israel, where four million people live, in Tel Aviv's awful morning traffic, commuters jumped out of their cars and ducked down on the roads as rocket sirens blared. South of the city, Israel's interceptor missiles were bringing down rockets fired from Gaza. In the language of rocket launches, this was a very serious message. The militants were telling Israel, you have started a nasty fight. That's because at four in the morning, an Israeli airstrike destroyed an apartment in Gaza City where Bahir Abu al-Atta and his wife were sleeping. Abu al-Atta was a commander in the military wing of the Iranian-backed militant group Palestinian Islamic Jihad. Israel said it killed him because he'd been a serial troublemaker, ordering rocket launches, sniper attacks and even a strike with an anti-tank missile in breach of an unofficial ceasefire between militant groups in Israel. Abu al-Atta reportedly ordered a rocket attack on the city of Ashdod during Israel's recent election campaign, when Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu was addressing a rally. The alarm forced him off the stage, an embarrassment for a leader who likes to be thought of as Mr Security. Nevertheless, Abu al-Atta's killing by Israel was an unusual move. Israel abandoned a former policy of what it called targeted killings, essentially the assassination of militant leaders, in 2012, after one particular hit led to a costly, protracted conflict in Gaza. The assassinations were seen to increase violence, not reduce it. Shortly after the airstrike in Gaza, a missile blew up a home in the embassy district of Syria's capital, Damascus, killing two men. The target was reportedly another Palestinian Islamic Jihad official, who may have survived the strike. Israel has not commented on that attack. Palestinian Islamic Jihad the second largest militant group in Gaza, responded by firing hundreds of rockets for two days. Thanks largely to Israel's Iron Dome interceptor missiles, there were injuries but no deaths. Israel responded with airstrikes, saying it was targeting men firing rockets, as well as Palestinian Islamic Jihad sites and leaders. 
But among the 34 people killed inside Gaza were a father and his two sons who were riding a motorbike. Seven family members of an Islamic Jihad leader died when his apartment was hit. Israel's government and military said their aim was to deter Islamic Jihad from further attacks, while not drawing the much more powerful militant group which governs Gaza, Hamas, into the fighting. In previous rounds of violence, Hamas has been able to inflict much more damage, with its superior manpower, coordination and lengthy experience of fighting Israel. And the tactic worked. Hamas stayed on the sidelines and the inevitable ceasefire was reached sooner than most people expected. Israel says it clearly won this round, but teaching a militant group a lesson cost 34 lives and inflicted more pain and fear on Gazans and Israelis. Civilians on both sides of the border are sick of it, although some Israelis were expressing approval because there were no deaths on their side. But people know, depressingly, that this will happen again fairly soon. That's because no political leader wants to take the difficult but necessary steps to end the miserable situation in Gaza. Under blockade for 12 years, it is a small but densely populated place with a paralysed economy, a health system on the brink of collapse and a growing population of trapped, desperate, forgotten people. Ending the economic and military blockade that causes so much misery in Gaza would require Israel to recognise and deal openly with Hamas. The group violently seized power from the Palestinian Authority in 2007 after winning an election the year before. It has survived three wars and held on to power despite the worsening suffering of Gazans. The Palestinian authorities recognised the unpalatable necessity of dealing with Hamas and recently announced a plan for new elections. Despite their history, both sides of the internal Palestinian conflict are now seeking a political solution. You don't really hear Israeli politicians talking like that. The two main contenders for government instead compete for who can promise the harshest military incursion. There's no talk about ending the blockade or securing a real future for Gazans. It's assumed this cannot occur while Hamas rules. The group still formally calls for Israel's destruction, even while its leaders admit that's an unacceptable and unachievable goal. But the reason Israel and Gaza militants keep fighting is because nothing changes. Armed groups still hold sway over a fearful population, which has never had redress for the historical injustices that put them in a tiny enclave surrounded by walls, fences, cameras and guns. Since they voted for Hamas, they've been rewarded with more than a decade of wars, isolation and stagnation. Everyone in Gaza wants and needs change. Real change that comes from political courage. Or Gazan kids will keep being collateral damage. And Israelis will keep waking up to the unholy music of rocket alerts on their phones. Eric Torchek there, reporting from Jerusalem.